Jordan and Gretzky, Serena and Ruth Remembering great ones is easy to do What about the donates who spent their whole lives Walks down the footballs and catching sack flies Where guys remember that guy some guys now backdoor slider too far outside and the count is full three balls two strikes and a ground ball back up the middle and there it is he's the new all-time hit king and remember that guy the show we mine our memories for nuggets of nostalgia about peripheral players past and present hey there folks while i go negotiate with the fan that just got that ichiro ball let's go ahead and see who i've got by my side here diaz with you once again and we have a very special guest for you this week it's the man who he might have tipped off that pitch. There's a lot of controversy. We're going to dive into it a little more. Please introduce yourself. Yeah, it's a bad memory for me. I don't like to get into it, but we actually do have an even more very special guest, resident NPB historian. Please introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Evan. I'm the mind behind Gaijin Baseball. It's so lovely to have you on here. By the way, Diaz, the guy you were looking for because I had a feeling you were going to try and put uh, Xavier in this position is Ryan Drees. Ryan Drees is the Texas Rangers pitcher that gave up the 257th and 258th hit to Ichiro Suzuki in that game. Ryan Drees joins Kenrich Williams as the person that enabled greatness to go with uh, getting scored on by LeBron. But yes, Evan, it is uh, lovely to have you on as we kick it off with that Ichiro. You are an NPB expert, and we're excited to talk to you about that in a little bit. Mm. Uh, Before we do that, though, I do need to check in real quick. With Diaz, I need to know, Diaz, is, is there anything that's making memories for you right now? It, it's some great memories, James. You know, people who listened last week, they're going to know that I was hyping up Jalen. I said Jalen is what we need for Philadelphia to win a championship. And sure enough, Daryl Morey delivers and brings in Jalen McDaniels. The Sixers got their missing piece now and undefeated in the Jalen McDaniels era. He dribbles, he dunks, he shoots. There has not been a sixer that is able to do all three in my entire lifetime. So the fact that he's a willing and able participant is great. And also James Bradbury did not hold him. And that's all I have to say about that game. I, you, you intimated that you had exactly one other individual you wanted to bring up from that game. Well, I mean, Jalen Hurts, straight up, if there was any critic that was left as to his game, Everybody knew he could be a leader. Everybody knew he could run. But straight up, he made more impressive throws in the tighter windows than Pat Mahomes did all night. Pat Mahomes was throwing the wide open guys because Gannon is not just a villain in Zelda. He's also a terrible defensive coordinator. And Andy Reid ran circles around him, as did the receivers run circles around our secondary. Take nothing away from Mahomes. That's an all-time gutsy performance on that ankle. But... Jalen Hurts proved that he belongs in not that tier two of quarterbacks. I think he's right up there at tier one. You go Burrow, Hurts, Allen, Mahomes. Put them in any order you want the top four. Uh, But football's in good hands. The Eagles are in good hands. That game really hurt. But like I said, Jalen McDaniels, who in scouting the 2019 NBA draft, that was the guy I wanted the Sixers to target late in the second round. They had the 54th pick. He went 53rd. It was the most heartbreaking thing in my Philadelphia sports fandom, but it was made right 
Jalen McDaniels, welcome to Philly. Uh, Jalen Hurts, keep doing it. God, that game sucked, man. Luckily, it is probably the last time that 95-year-old will have anything to do with your game. That is – can we just talk about that for a second? The 95-year-old that's allowed to be in charge of anything regarding the largest media production on an annual basis? Yes, we can talk about the fact that there's a decrepit senior citizen with that duty. I mean, and like, like when it comes to like engineering, right? Like, I understand that the lead designer is probably not going to be the hands on the ground. But I'd like somebody that's at least like familiar with like modern building materials. When the first Super Bowl was played, this dude was like approaching 40. I would think that there's a lot better people, better positions to know the, the the most recent advances in landscape technology that might make the field not ice is kind of what it looked like they were playing on. It was terrible. A person who had a majority of their adult life before the Super Bowl started probably shouldn't be in a position to work on a Super Bowl. I'm, and we are we are not ageist on this podcast, but I do think that is a safe statement to make, James. Well, Xavier, do you have uh, anything that can kind of get us away from this spiral and and put us back into some happy memories? Yeah, so I'll get away from the Super Bowl. I do want to give one quick shout out to friend of the pod, Brandon Daniel, who was operating the lights at the Super Bowl and made Rihanna look really good out there during the halftime show. So we can say our friends did their part in making that a good production. But away from football, I actually wanted to talk about hockey. Because the Rangers have been on fire recently. Uh, They've won six straight games and are averaging five goals a game during it. They put four past the Knights, five past the Flames. Unfortunately, four and then six past the Canucks. Do whatever you need to do. The Vancouver Canucks are the most miserable sports-watching experience of my life right now. And, you know, they added Vladimir Tarasenko uh, just a week ago. And it really feels like this team is kicking up into gear. And if Igor can get back to the lights-out play he had last year in his Vezina season. I don't think there's any reason why they can't make it back to the Eastern Conference Finals again or you know, even further. They're not the best team in the league, but they have enough elite talent at each position on the ice that, you know, they can win games if their guys get hot. Evan, despite being our NPB expert, I'm aware that you are of the North. Do the New York Rangers strike fear into your heart? I they think that's strike. a good way to gauge. Yeah, they don't. Like to me, the New York Rangers are. We all knew they were going to be somewhat strong. Like their young core was starting to heat up. It was all looking good. The thing is, the Metro is like a absolute bloodbath at this point in time with all the young talent in there, and then you have the the Penguins struggling along. I think that honestly, yeah, the the Rangers will make at least the Eastern Conference Finals to face whoever comes out of the Atlantic, it, which is probably going to be the Bruins. Honestly. That team is absolutely. A They're unfortunately juggernaut. very stacked. They Bruins are a juggernaut. Have single digit losses this year. Yes. It's yes. Insane. They still have single digit losses. I they still do. Paying attention for like a week. God damn. If, if you add overtime losses to it, then it's not. But I, yeah. since you get a point for those, I, I, I don't. Forty wins, eight losses in regulation, and then five overtime losses. It's just my goodness. I hate them. But, I mean, yeah, the, the Metro is insane. The Islanders having just gone all in with another Vancouver Canucks-related uh, move are in sixth in the Metro. 
Hey, you know what? At least Bo Horvat got paid. I'm I'm okay with that outcome. This is like when Manny got the super contract from San Diego. At least he's getting the money. Think of it this way. Anything bad for Aquilini is good for the league. Good point. That's an yeah. excellent point. Well, I, I have a positive thing, but we're going to dip back into negativity for one second. MLB The Show, Jazz Chisholm as the cover athlete this year. It has also been announced that it is going to be incorporating Negro League players. And on certain corners of the internet, this has gone exactly as well as someone would have anticipated it going. I just want to take one moment to rant calmly for a little bit that first off, anyone who's saying who cares about Negro League players, the obvious retort is Hank Aaron, Willie Mays, Satchel Page, Ernie Panks, Roy Campanella, Larry W, Minnie Mignoso, to name some, are all Negro League players. So ignorance of that is just like ignorance of basic baseball history. Secondly, it has never been easier to find information. Fangraphs just this week has updated with their Negro League stats, and I just hate that people are proud of being ignorant of any of these things and then choosing to remain ignorant when it is made very, very easy to not be that way. It's just, it's, it's frustrating to see people have that attitude, but I, for one, might finally have to go and plop down for the show, even though it'll probably run terribly on the switch. Like is, how can you be ignorant about Josh Gibson? Come I on. Two Josh Gibson bobbleheads. Staring yeah, at me like right now. I played catcher growing up. There there was one guy I was always told, he's just like, you can be a legend like this and that and this guy another, but Josh Gibson was the best catcher of all time. Whether or not you agree with that statement, you know, he's still a legendary figure in baseball history. And especially if you're a catcher, if you played catcher growing up, you know who Josh Gibson is. Or again, yeah. if you don't, you shouldn't be proud of that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. To that, to that point, James, I think... The internet is great for many things, such as we have finally accumulated and is readily available, as you said, to be able to dive in on the history of the Negro League. The one thing that I think is a drawback is it used to be a thing in society that if you didn't know what you were talking about, you just shut the fuck up and listen to the people that do know what they're talking about. And that was fine. And we had no problem with people that didn't know what they were talking about because they just shut the fuck up and listen to the people that didn't know what they were talking about. So that that to me is something we need to work on. Uh, if you don't know about the Negro Leagues, your first step is to shut the fuck up. And your second step is to actually do your research and appreciate. Because, I mean, it's not just Gibson. I mean, there's so many players throughout the history. You, you named off several, James, that did get an opportunity in major leagues. But there's many more that if they were given that equal opportunity, you know, we're probably there, – there's, there's a bunch of – uh, white guys from the 50s that are in the hall right now that wouldn't have even sniffed that fucking thing if if we had equality in baseball. So just shut the fuck up and learn is all I have to say. Yeah. See, Diaz, I appreciate your sentiment, but I do think you're giving the past too much credit. There have always been ignorant and stupid people who are loud and say dumb shit all the time. It's just it's, now they, we they didn't have to. They have Twitter. We didn't have to, have to see it. That. Everyone can see it now. It's just before if you were in your basement trying to talk about how much you hate everybody. Nobody's going to hear you unless you put like a ham radio and had like a, a radio frequency that 10 people knew about. But now you could be an asshole on Twitter and a million people can see it in a day. So very fair. I'm certainly not uh, 
asking for us to go back to the good old days. Oh, definitely not. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, we don't want the phrase good old days to come from our mouths. Uh, I do want to wash that bad taste out of our mouths. With a little bit of a uh, fun story that I read about this week. It happened slightly sooner, but I just learned about it. So I'm going to share it anyway. We're going down Tobacco Road. We're going to UNC, where on January 31st of this year, there was a big old announcement about their field hockey team, which is, we, we like just randomly finding out about dynasties that have apparently existed for a long time. The UNC field hockey team is one such dynasty. For 42 seasons, Karen Shelton has been the coach. Karen Shelton, who has the same birthday as me, she has been the coach for 42 seasons. They have won innumerable championships during that time. She had a, a little bit of a Clarence Gaines-like situation where for four of those years, she was in Karen Shelton Stadium, winning championships. She did finally retire after that. And uh, several of those championships were with a student, Aaron Matson, who just graduated this last year, fall of 22. She was a fifth year senior and got an extra year for COVID hardships. And in her time there, every single year, she won ACC Offensive Player of the Year and ACC Player of the Year. Three of those years, she won the Honda Award, which is for the best field hockey player. Not sure how Honda got in on that, but the Honda <laughs> Award is their MVP. And four championships in that time. And now, as of January 31st, Aaron Matson is the coach of the UNC women's field hockey team. By the way, she's replacing Karen Shelton, who 42 years ago got the job at 23. And yet somehow Aaron Matson at 22 is now the youngest ever UNC field hockey coach. They have, for the second consecutive time, spanning over five calendar decades, hired someone pretty much fresh out of college over other candidates to take over a championship-level team. And a number of her teammates are still on this. The SI article that I read about it, sorry for everyone at SI that got laid off, by the way, that sucks. But it, one of the last things that I got from that was someone writing a really great article about Erin Matson and how she's going to have to figure out juggling, hey, these people that I was playing with on championship teams just a moment ago are now technically my players and I am a coach. But look, if it's going to work for anyone, it's apparently going to work for the team that has done this before. And yeah, just just love learning about the UNC field hockey program this week. Best of luck to her. Honestly, best of luck. Now, as we turn away from the things that are making memories for us right now, we turn towards baseball season here in the States. Pitchers and catchers are reporting everywhere, particularly those that are participating in the World Baseball Classic, which we're all very excited about. And while we are all very excited for the MLB season, to varying degrees, we are also excited for another baseball season that's coming up. That is the NPB season, because we have decided here at RTG, we're getting into Japanese baseball this year. To do that, we have brought on our friend Evan of Gaijin Baseball. This is a YouTube video that I think you've been doing for about a year now. Little about a year and a half now, yeah. I've been right. doing this. Most recently, what I want to highlight, uh, before you take the chance to highlight anything else that you have, is a really great series that you did just breaking down the history of all 12 teams. Now, it kind of, I think, removed, for me at least, the barrier to what I want before I get into a sport. As we've, you know, here on the show, tried to expand the slate of sports that we take in at all times, I need to know some good narratives. And it was hard to kind of get that just from going through Wikipedia for all the different teams. I, I think your series did a great job of kind of presenting the culture of each team. I am curious, as we've mentioned, you're up the North. How did this whole kind of MPB interest come about for you? Did you come to it like from 
baseball otherwise, or was this kind of your gateway into it? It was from baseball otherwise. I mean, I grew up um, in the era where every NPB all-star worth his salt was trying his hand at MLB. And one player who I particularly liked was Kenji Jojima uh, of the Seattle Mariners and how he played the game and how he called the game and how it wasn't, it was kind of different from everything I saw. He was also massively overboosted in MLB Power Pros because Konami just basically <laughs> took his NPV stats and plastered them onto his MLB character. And, and he was really good in that game. And I decided to watch more, uh, catch the Seattle Mariners whenever they were on, when Jojima was playing for them. And I remember seeing the, uh, the time when uh, Jesse Barfield's son, I forget his name, Josh, just went full pelt into him knocked him over, Jojima held on to the ball, and then got up looking like he was going to kill him. It was like, <laughs> he, he just gets up and he stares daggers and had his pitcher not come in and be like, yeah, awesome, you got him out. I, I fully believe we would have seen a brawl. Much, much worse. Oh, yes. Uh, but yeah, he's like watching more and more clips of him. And then I found out more about his whole story. Uh, I actually talked with uh, one of his former pitchers, Rod Pedraza, who was uh, connected to over Reddit. Because he just kind of he just kind of showed up under a post of something he was remotely involved in, and it's just like, oh hey, Rod Pedraza's here. All right, uh, like the um, the nineteen ninety nine Japan series, their first title, and I believe uh, they won it in. They, they, it's their first title in like nearly four over forty years, mm-hmm. and it's just you watch how Pedraza and Jojima worked together on that final at bat, and it was just it was glorious. So I played, I played catcher a bunch, and I. I, I kind of like I knew a few teams I, and then I started to delve into it more. And around 2016, when I was a freshman at university, I went on a Wikipedia deep dive late one night. And then I started to look up because like the team was sparing. So I decided to go, how about I just look at, up these teams in Japanese on Japanese Wikipedia? Sure. The Japanese Wikipedia page for each team is about like 10 times as long as the English one. Because it's everything. And then you're just like, oh, this goes deep. Oh, this goes real deep. And I read about how the Hiroshima Carp essentially staved off contraction by playing their hearts out in 1952. And I'm like, that's my team. (laughs) And it was at a time when the Carp were really good. So I started watching games. And uh, yeah, one thing led to another. And I do this now. Right. So you've talked about like being able to watch the games. Do you find it easy to kind of like participate in real time with the league is there like what have you kind of done to have that like media diet during the npb season it's usually it's because during the week games start at about five in the morning eastern time so it it's something i started doing is i started getting up at five in the morning uh not so much to go to work or anything but to watch baseball and then I would use that as I was getting ready for like during the summer when I was getting ready for work or in the fall when I'm getting ready for class, I just have it on and I'd be watching it like in the kitchen while I'm making breakfast and something like that. And then that led to more and more stuff. Uh, I remember watching like one of the saddest I've been on a morning was 2017 uh, Central League Climax Series, the, the the second round, so the mm-hmm. basically the the version of the the, the, pennant, the championship series, yeah, for the okay. pennant, and it was like a gut wrenching loss to the Bay Stars, who weren't supposed to be anywhere close to the carp that year, and they were on a, this own miracle run, and I'm just sitting there, like after watching Otani destroy my team in 2016, in the 2016 Japan Series, I was just like, we can get back, we can do this now. Ah, crap, you know, like. That was a painful way to watch a, a team lose, but it was 
it hardened my uh, my love for the club, and that's all that really mattered. And and the good thing with the NPB baseball timing is that's probably the worst your day's going to be out of the way yeah. right there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, nothing can hurt me more than the loss, my team losing first thing in the morning. That's how I carry myself sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of the things someone has always asked me, like, why don't you do a video on the 2016 Japan series? Otani was in it. You could get so many views. And I'm like, I'm still processing that <laughs> seven years later. It still hurts, you know, because I was like, I was the first I had chosen my team. We'd gone on this miracle run. Great. We're in the finals. And then Otani just completely. Ugh. It was about being the best yeah. player in like the history of baseball. Yeah, current current uh, Blue Jay Anthony Bass, the pitcher, he walked off a game too, which was particularly, you know, crippling. He's like, oh, he's a relief pitcher. He's he's not going to know how to hit. Famous uh. last words. Yeah, well, he didn't walk off a game. He put a winning run on board. For hurting in any capacity at the plate is painful. Oh, yeah. One thing that's the same no matter where you're watching your baseball is losing sucks. Right. Oh yeah. But I was wondering if being our foremost expert to, to the listeners who may not know as much about NPB, um, could you describe maybe the biggest way in which the on-field product is different than what somebody who's maybe only used to American baseball? A lot um, more balls in play. It's as simple as that. A lot more balls in play. Uh, 3TO is uh, three, three true outcomes for this. It's, Really something only a few hitters go for. You know, your Murakamis, your your Kazuma Okamoto's, your big power guys. Most guys, like, there's a good amount of guys who don't hit for power and, and instead hit for contact, and that's something that's become a bit of a lost art in Major League Baseball. And it's a lot more fun, especially when you watch teams that have really good defenders, just watching them do wizardry with, with balls come close. Like, uh, I, my Pacific League team is the Sa- Saitama Seibu Lions, their middle infield consists of two of the best defenders in the league with Sosuke Genda and Shuta Tonasaki. And it's just brilliant to watch them work together, you know? Well, and it makes fielding that much more important, right? Because as, as, as you said in the video you did for my favorite team, Hanshin Tigers, we'll get into that later. Big guy hit ball far. That's kind of all we're worried about here in America. Yeah. But when you're going to have more balls in play, it makes defense that much more important over there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Not to say defense isn't important in Major League Baseball, but I think that was one of the key things of Moneyball when the Oakland A's did what they did. It's just like, oh, defense isn't really important. That was one of their their whole key things. It's like, we can just do hitting. And and the fact that it sort of worked led to more teams copying the style and defense and MLB steadily got worse and worse. It's easy to play first base. Tell them. (laughs) It's incredibly hard. Well, so first base and this like ball into play, it kind of leads me to one other thing I've been wondering about because we recently did the Randy Bass bit. And it, during that, I learned that like the slugging first baseman is not an archetype that really exists in uh, Japanese baseball to the same extent as it does here. You don't have like those Prince fielders like on every single team. Are there any kind of guy archetypes that you see existing in that league that we do not have over here as much because of that difference in how the, the game is kind of played with an emphasis on balls in play. Mm. Cause right now, right now we're in the, in MLB, we're in kind of in the Zenith of the shortstop position as a power position. Right. Mm-hmm. I think it's something like only, sorry, if you'll excuse me, uh, pulling into 
npvstats.com, which is one of the best sites that no one's heard about, sadly. <laughs> if I go into the leaderboard for among shortstops, I think only something like five shortstops have even had 30 home runs in a season, all time. And like, there's five you could say an MLB might hit 30 next year. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. All time, there have only been... Oh, no, it's, it's more than that. It's, it's I believe... 14 there's only been 14 out of like the hundreds of people who've played the position only 14 have done it and only two have ever hit 40 home runs in a season and those were separated by one guy did it in 1985 one guy did it in 2019 (laughs) if we're kind of adding on to that the idea that everyone is this defensive wizard you're saying it's a lot like ozzy smith is still kind of the mold that shortstops uh, are made in ozzy smith yeah like so you have like the guy like soske genda who's the current shortstop for the saitama seibu lions he is a very ozzy smith archetype he can still hit double digit home runs but he's more of a guy who will put it into the gap and set the table for the big bats that come up after him uh, but Sosuke Genda you know, is the kind of archetype that a lot of shortstops base themselves off of. And if if we want to look at a complete five-tool shortstop, there has only been two in the entire history of the league. Those being uh, Hayato Sakamoto, who's currently playing for the, the Yamiuri Giants, and uh, Yasumitsu Toyota, who played for the Nishitetsu Lions in the late 50s. He was kind of like the, the only five-tool shortstop before Sakamoto came along. When does the Nishitetsu, sorry, not to like stomp on it, yeah. this is the, if anyone's going to be discussing the Lions, but when does Nishitetsu switch to uh, Saitama Seibu Lions? Uh, so Nishitetsu Lions was from 1951 because they, they originally owned a team called the Clippers and they merged mm-hmm. with a team called the Nishinippon Pirates to create the Nishitetsu Lions. They owned the team until, uh, I believe, 1972. They sold it to a shell company, the Fukuoka Baseball Company. They became the Taiheo Club Lions thanks to sponsorship. Uh, that was until 1977 when a Crown Lighter got sponsorship for two years, and then Seibu bought them in 1979. I remember fucking cackling yeah. when I got to that part of the video with Crown Lighter. <laughs> it's just like Crown Lighter. Okay, like of any of all the businesses and like it was it was like this holding company that had decided to put sponsorship on. It's like of all the companies you own, the holding company decided to go with the lighter company. Which, you know, actually, it, what's funny is the stuff, like the, their their kit from that era, actually looks pretty solid. It's something I would wear. But, like, at the same time, you have to grapple with the fact that it's Crown Lighter Lions. <laughs> it's fire. Exactly. Yeah. Do, 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 they still have a, do they still have Kimba the White Lion as their logo, though? It's it's Leo the Lion, not Kimba. Leo. Uh, he, okay. he's, it, he, isn't it like yeah. a loving ripoff of Kimba the White Lion? the same guy who made Kimba the White Lion who drew Leo okay, the Lion. Cool. So, yeah, Leo's back on the sleeve this year, which is something I'm very happy about. But uh, he's not on, I mean, he's not on the cap anymore like he was from he was on the cap from 1979 till 2008. So, I'm gonna yeah. go so here, but like, so it's like in, in like metal music, like Megadeth is Leo. because In a way, I, yeah. It was the yeah. Metallica. Yeah, kind of in a way, yeah see that coming from a mile away diaz but that's a very good comparison <laughs> it's been a while but i i used to be a head banner back in my youth I, this, I, this might be the first time i've ever heard you say mega death <laughs> <laughs> i i played bass in a metal band in university so don't worry about it okay there we go good good yeah. good i was i was worried i, I oh no no no, 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 no. For a second. 
Diaz, speaking of your uh, interests, you've already kind of intimated what your team is. So I think if we're going to get around to like kind of introducing who we are now, the wholeheartedly throwing our support behind, you're as good of a person as any to get started. Oh, absolutely. So I'll I'll take a bit of a circuitous route to to get to Hanshin Tigers. But I'm gonna I'm gonna start first with my first time deciding what team I wanted to root for for the first time in my life. So when Manchester City won the English Premier League for the first time in like some 50 years, they get the dramatic goal from Sergio Aguero. That was the first thing that really grabbed my attention. I was like, wow, I need to pay attention to this league. I need to pick a team. But obviously. Being a Philadelphian, being a diehard Philadelphia sports fan, hopping right on with major success just doesn't sit well with me. So I did my research and I learned there's this team that had incredible success early on, uh, but they're in the midst of a major championship drought. They have the most passionate fans in the region. And if their piece of shit, cheap ownership could just get out of the way, they could actually be something one day. And all of those boxes line up perfectly with my NPB team, the Hanshin Tigers. Uh, so that was just in fit like a glove this, the, the second I learned about them. When will Hanshin get bought by uh, Saudi Arabia? <laughs> Not soon enough. Not soon enough. Probably uh, never. Been, been turning it around recently, at least. Um, mm. But... Just, just a couple things that, that really resonated with me. Uh, as I alluded to already, early greatness derailed by shit ownership, especially with their color scheme. This kind of makes me think of the Pittsburgh Pirates, a team that mm. was great, mm. now has bad owners. Um, so there's a Pennsylvania kinship there. The fact that the Koshien is played there uh, for the uninitiated, Koshien being the National High School Baseball Championship in Japan. Here in Philadelphia, we also have a hallowed ground for a sport that is near and dear to us. Um, that is called the Palestra uh, in Philadelphia, the Cathedral of College Basketball, as it's known. And to this day, the, the Philadelphia Catholic League Championships are still played at the Palestra. So I love that parallel. And also the fact that uh, their, their biggest rival being Yomu Murray Giants. I love a good inferiority complex. And the fact that they were Buffalo Bills by them in the 70s, I believe. Uh, in, the, in the 50s and the 70s, they were like the constant second place team. Yeah. Right. And I, I remember the, the the one time it was literally four consecutive uh, finishing yeah. second to Yomi Mori. So Yomi Yuri is a, a team that is in the big city and is taking New York Giants iconography. You get yeah. to hate New York in a completely <laughs> different hemisphere, basically. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, there's the the name Yamiuri Giants literally came from the fact that Frank O'Doul, uh same O'Doul that the O'Doul Bridge uh by uh Oracle Park in San Francisco is named after. He basically said, Tokyo's the New York of Japan, so why not name yourself after a New York based MLB club? Go for it. And that's why they did. It's a good pitch. Yeah. It was a solid yeah. pitch. And I mean Hanshin going along with the same kind of logic, but I do think it's somewhat tragic that they went over and they see Detroit and they're like, yes, this reminds us of home. Like that's not the best reading endorsement. <laughs> well, it is, it is Detroit in the thirties. So it's a different fair. Detroit to Detroit now, you know? Fair, fair. Has it followed a similar parallel trajectory to Detroit? Uh, the Hanshin sprawl, not really. Uh, it's, it's more so a lot of the industrial stuff went to uh, Kawasaki, which if you don't know where that is, it's in between Tokyo and Yokohama. 
it's this kind of like little sliver in between those cities where you have a lot of industrial work and stuff like that. If you've ever listened to Japanese heavy metal, there's a really iconic photo place. And it was in, also in uh, Gran Turismo Sport, if you've played that. It's in the Kawasaki uh, Refinery District. And so many bands take their photos at that exact same place. And it's, a, it's, it's like the woods in Norway, you know, like that kind of thing. It's just like you want you want a metal you want a metal album you go to this place and you take your photo there so that's kind of where the industrial center has moved to. I, I love it. Didn't even know about Diaz's lifelong metal love until today, and now Hanshin's just all the better for you. <laughs> it's it it really it's it gets better the more I go, and then I James you tasked us with defining as we see it the two best all time greats within that franchise. I want um, to yeah. And then one guy. So I, I wrote down two. And Evan, if you just want to riff on these guys before, I'll chime in with what my notes are. But first off, I think anybody who knows anything is going to say Fumio Fujimura. Yeah, Fumio Fujimura. Yes, uh, one of the greatest players of all time. He had the NPB hits record for a solid 46 years. Like 40, 40, 44 I, I, years. I have, no, 44. Yeah. 44 <laughs> years. Because it, it struck me that it was, he said it in the first year of NPB officially. NPB, yeah, when, when, when the JPBL became NPB, he set right. the hits record. And it took Ichiro in 1994 to break it. Right, 44 years later. And again, Ichiro, I, I love a good eponymous athlete. Ichiro is the guy yeah. that finally broke it 44 years later. That, that yeah. just crushed me. Yeah, and he has a fairly interesting story. He came on as a pitcher. That didn't work out. He moved to third base and found out, oh, wow, he's really good at third base. And even though his arm didn't work as a pitcher, he can throw it across the diamond like no one's business. And that led to him putting up uh, one of the only two 12-war seasons from a position player in NPB history in 1950. He was like the best player in the league in its first year of the two-league structure. And, and the the Tigers coincidentally like couldn't do anything with it they finished because they'd been so gutted by well cheap ownership uh allowing a lot of their players to walk over to the mainichi orions uh who ended up winning the first ever japan series so it's like one of the big what ifs is what if the tigers keep their core could they win the japan series with that well i mean and also i mean you you say the arm didn't work out for fumio but at least statistically as i was looking at it he was pretty damn good as a pitcher so Fumio Fujimura, like as a pitcher, he was, yeah, he was, he was a decent role pitcher. Like he, in the spring of 1936, he had a fit minus of 69, but nice. that was, yeah, nice. Uh, and yeah, he, it, throughout like his whole career, like the only time that it was really, truly bad was when he stepped on the mound uh, in six games in 1948. And that's when everyone kind of realized, oh yeah, he's not particularly great here. Right. Right. But yeah, still at least had that good run. And and the fact that he was able to hit for power while also being, you know, leading the league in hits. I, yeah. I mean, that's so rare to ever see, right? Like mm-hmm. Aaron Judge would be like the modern parallel, right? Yeah. Yeah. One of the first guys to uh, hit 40 homers in a season. He held the record overall, I believe, for one year. In 1949, he set the uh, Japanese professional record with 46 home runs, and it lasted one season. Brutal. <laughs> one season. And then Makoto Kozuru hit 51 uh, the next year. So, 
you know, Not to be able like to kind of inching by the record, kind of like crushing no, no, your record crushing the, the record. Absolutely. Yeah. Granted with like a much larger competition base to face and arguably not as great competition, but uh, still Fujimura hitting 46 home runs and then 39 the next year. Like he wasn't a slouch uh, once power actually started becoming a thing uh, in NPB. Right. So, I mean, as five tool of a five tool player as you could ever hope for. So he he stands out to me as the... Absolute, like, Mr. Tiger, I guess, is yeah. like what you could say. He's Mr. Tiger. The other player that jumps out, and James already has done a deep dive, uh, the Colonel, yeah. Randy Bass. Make up for him not being a guy is you're going to say now he's too good to be a guy because you're he's a too good to be, Tigers fan. He's too good to be a guy because he's literally in the Hall of Fame. He just got inducted to the Japanese yeah. Baseball Hall of Fame. So, like, it was something that we all knew Oh yeah, but keeping him out is he didn't play long enough. But then again, that wasn't his fault. No. Like he got he legitimately got screwed. Uh, and it's one of the things that I uh, spoilers for a future video that I'm planning. But like 1988 was kind of like the peak of bubble economy Japan, and also the peak of the moral failures of bubble economy Japan. And that's one <laughs> of the things that happened was there was a whole thing with Bob Horner in 1987 how he decided I'm not coming back. Then you had Basket screwed in '88, and then you had two legendary teams get sold. Uh, the Nankai Hawks and the um, Honky Braves both ended up getting sold against the wishes of the people who had founded them. You know, but they had died, so no one cared. So we can sell them now. You know, like that kind of thing. And and just to, to cliff notes that screw job, Randy Bass left Japan because his son had brain cancer. The team was cool with it. Then the team needed money. Tried to say they weren't cool with it. Randy recorded them. The GM killed himself. Yes. Uh, Cliff Cliff Notes version of that. Yeah. It was because he wanted to use his team health insurance, which he was legally allowed to do. Like it was in his contract that his health insurance connected to his family. And they they thought that, wow, okay, this surgery is going to cost $40,000. You know, and they go, oh, well, we don't want to pay $40,000 for a brain tumor surgery. Never mind that it's our star player's son, and he's kind of the only guy keeping us relevant because we're terrible again. Because uh, in '87 they went from winning the championship in '85 to last place in '87. Yeah, it was just like one of those things where it's just like you're just sitting there, like, what in the hell? The more you look at that whole scenario, the less it makes sense because there was no way the Tigers were coming out of this situation looking good. Right. No way yeah, it's at a all. Lose lose situation. Yeah, absolutely. It's a complete lose 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 situation because it also meant that well like well they did end up winning in the end because they the next year they went out and they got Cecil Fielder but that was the only reason they got Cecil Fielder was because they were like oh crap we need someone oh this guy's this guy's a good power bat he's behind uh people on the Blue Jays let's go grab him and see how that works and but then again they only got one season out of Cecil Fielder as well so did it really work who knows yeah, they weren't able to recapture quite the levels of Randy uh, yeah. when he was there. So, I mean, I've, you have the the not fun scandal with that. But then, I mean, you have, to me, like, maybe the funniest scandal in all of sports that I've ever heard. Or, like, the funniest curse, at least. Because, like, so in Philadelphia, we had the curse of William Penn for a while. Basically, William Penn was atop our city hall. He looked out on the whole city. They built a building that was taller than William Penn. We never won again. At least William Penn was, like, a real, like, guy. 
versus like a incorrect interpretation of a, an American mascot that kind of looked like him, but like kind of didn't. Could you just, I guess, cliff notes the whole Colonel saga, the curse of the Colonel? Yeah. Uh, for our listeners. So after the Tigers won the 1985 CL pennant, uh, that was their first pennant in 21 years. Their fans went absolutely crazy. Uh, I've seen the footage of it. They're just like pouring through the dot in there by the Dotsenbori Canal in uh, Osaka's theater district. The Dotsenbori Canal nowadays is like super nice. It's like Osaka's Times Square almost. You know, everything is like you have you have all these you know built up areas to walk around the canal and all that stuff. In the 80s, it was a back alley essentially. So it's and like 1980s Times Square. It, it, yeah, it's 1980s Times Square. Exactly. Uh, but what happened is they were, like, you had a whole bunch of Hanshin Tigers fans swarming because, you know, they finally won for the first time in 20 years. And they start chanting the name of their leadoff hitter. And they start doing his cheer song. And then they find a guy who looks like him, grab him, and chuck him in the river. <laughs> and so they do that with the second with the second guy, too. And then they get to Bass. Well, they can't find an American in the crowd because, well, you know, this is the 80s. There are Americans in Osaka, obviously, but they've all, you know, generally stayed in. You know, they're they're here on business. They're staying in their hotel or they've been advised, like, don't go out. You know, there's going to be a lot of rowdy people in the streets tonight. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't go out. So what they do is they go and they find a KFC. They see the Colonel Sanders statue out front of the KFC and they go, good enough. The manager tries to stop them, uh, gets the absolute shit kicked out of him. (laughs) So he retreats behind the thing. He retreats behind the counter. They rip the statue out of the ground and carry it towards the canal. And all this time, you know, Bass's cheering song is, is echoing through the neighborhood. And then they chuck it in the canal. And then they go on, they win. And then they immediately fall off a cliff. And a lot of people have said, oh, it's it's the colonel's ghost who has cursed the team for disrespecting his image, you know, in, in that kind of sense. Was Colonel Sanders alive at the time, though? That would be, re- it'd be really funny if Colonel Sanders was alive at the time this happened. 80? Oh, yeah, he's still alive in the 80s. Uh, no, he died in 1980. So 1980, darn. Oh, uh, I'm so thinking he... of Dave from Wendy's. Dave from yeah. Wendy's was still alive. I'm yeah. mixing up my... Uh... <laughs> So, so there's, there's a bit of a, there's, there's a bit of a darker side of the curse, which I more subscribe to, um, when they won their next pennant in 2003, uh, they'd been terrible throughout the nineties. They'd done a lot of, you know, stupid decisions, but you, that can be excused to just bad ownership. Uh, when they won the second pennant in 2003, they did it again and they found this one kid that I think was 17 or 18. I, th- I believe he was Hafu too. I think he was like half Persian or something like that. They th- decided he looked a lot like George Arias and they chucked him in and he ended up drowning. So I, I basically think that the curse is not Colonel Sanders so much. It's the kid they threw in against his will in 2003, but his name slips my mind. I can't find it sadly. Like, yeah, darker curse. And people have like, but but funny restaurant men get thrown in river. And I'm like, no, it's much darker than that. It's not <laughs> the statue. It's the real living. Well, it's, not the it's real the re- living ghost, but. It, it, it's the real guy who died, you know? And that's why they didn't do it in 2005. Like, when they won the pennant again in 2005, only to get absolutely trounced in the worst beatdown in Japan series history. 
there were cops out at the canal, basically preventing people from throwing in. And they, and I think they built uh, fences on some of the bridges temporarily. And then, but people were jumping in again in, in 2014, although they had, you know, they were a little bit more conscience of, of not having someone die this time. We, we like to see the, the evolution and the growth there when it comes to regard for human life. Um, yes. <laughs> we always love to see that. But... Sorry if that got dark. No, no, please. I mean, I, I appreciate the, the further context. Um, yeah. I guess getting, just getting back to Randy Bass, I mean, the biggest stars burn brightest and quickest. He was only in NPB for what, six seasons, I believe? Yeah. Five, well, five full seasons and then one, thir- 13 That's games good. into his sixth season. Yeah. But to claim, I believe, three batting titles uh, within those years. And two uh, triple crowns. Two triple crowns to still have the NPB record for single season batting average of 389. Just really an incredible, like, five, six year run there. Exactly. It's why he's in the Hall of Fame and why everyone was just like, finally, when it happened. And, and of course, I mean, we need to at least gloss on the controversy with Sadahara. Oh, yeah. It's so confusing to me because I, I made a video basically trying to disregard it. And there's some people who, who aren't convinced. Like there is nothing like obviously they're probably buried somewhere, but there is nothing I've found where it directly links Sadaharu O to the intentional walks. Uh, it was more so I, I believe it was the Giants organization who told their, their pitchers to do that. Not O himself. O just didn't stop it from happening. You know, at most he was just kind of complacent. Yeah. Because, like, I think the, the big thing was their ace, uh, Suguru Egawa, essentially went, fuck you, I'm throwing to him anyway. I don't give a shit. <laughs> and that was, that was kind of Egawa's attitude. And when um, the next season, in 1986, when Randy was chasing Sadaharu O's consecutive uh, home runs record, uh, the guy facing him in that seventh game was Suguru Egawa, and he just, like, grooved him a meatball immediately just to let him have it. You know, and that was that was something that I just looked at. I'm like, yeah, he did that on purpose, <laughs> absolutely right. on purpose. Yeah, right. Just Yo- just like the last pitch to to Jeter, right, Xavier? Yeah, yeah. There are there are nicer one versions of that too, like Bartolo Colon grooving one to D Gordon. You know, uh, just to yeah. have that moment. That was nice. Right. No, I mean, uh, ba- baseball can always have those nice moments. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm actually I'm going to use. Sadahara O to kind of pivot into who I think is the best guy in Hanshin Tigers history. This is a guy who his rookie season tied Sadahara O for total home runs in that year. And of course, the, the, the first non-Japanese player to be signed into the Central League. Correct. Mike Salamko. Yeah. Mike Salamko was the first non-Japanese player to, to sign with the Central League club. And he just kind of walked on. Like his whole thing was he he went to Japan as part of the army. He had a brief career in minor league baseball before it quit because he couldn't handle the grind. Then met his wife, decided I'm going to stay. And then it kind of became this thing of like, oh, the Hanshin Tigers are having like open tryouts. You used to play baseball. Maybe you should go do it. And then he went and he got signed. Like it, it helped that he kind of spoke the language a bit thanks to his wife. But like it was just it was one of those things like he was the first. I believe he was the first white guy to be on the cover of baseball magazine after his first season, which is weird because like, because there had been like, I don't think Leo Keeley ever got on it either. Uh, but like, yeah, he still, he still has all his memorabilia too. Cause I, I know another guy who's in the NPB English and has talked to him. He's still kicking too, which is really cool. Uh, he, you know, stuck around. Yeah. I mean, ob- obviously 
great that he's still with us. And yeah, I mean, as you touched on, the whole story I just think is awesome to, you know, end up on a base over there and to to find love there, to fall in love, to stay in love there, and to come back to his first love, baseball, right? Yeah. And not only to do that, but to succeed, to do it in a walk, not walk on, a tryout fashion. A tryout fashion, I'll, yeah. I'll use my college sports terminology. But to basically just come in, uh, much like Philadelphia uh, Eagles fans know Vince Papali, show up for a tryout, make the team. So for Salamco to do that resonated with me too. And the, the one other thing that I found that I'm, I'm curious if, if I found the pool that you didn't know, Evan. Did you know about this thing that Mike used to do when he would get walked in his first season? I don't remember. I didn't look into it. No. Uh, what did he do? So he used to, and he would only do, be able to do this the first time that he played any team. Because obviously yeah. back then there wasn't video scouting. There was barely word of mouth scouting. Um, so certain sneaky tendencies you could get away with. So whenever uh, Mike Salamco got walked, he would you know, act really disappointed, hang out at the plate for a second, slowly put his bat down, and then just kind of slow trot the first. Yeah. And then he'd like, look out of the corner of his eye to see if the pitcher and catcher were paying attention. And if they weren't, the second he touched first base, he would just jet the second. And the record said he did this one time against each team in Japanese baseball, but never did it a second time. <laughs> yeah, that, that is something you can only do once. Oh, that is absolutely the conniving shit I would do. Because I, I, I did that in youth baseball once. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Because I remember, like, didn't call time. And they were just like, uh, loose throw back to the pitcher. And I'm just thinking, I'm going. <laughs> Not- <laughs> When I was umpiring, I used to umpire Little League. And it was like, I think the, the, the kid just hit like a leadoff triple. And the catcher just walked out to the mound to start talking to the pitcher. And the whole infield comes in. And like, no, none of them said a word to me. I didn't yeah. grant time. So I'm kind of just standing there behind home plate with my hands on my hips. And the kid on third base just keeps saying, did he call time? Did he call time? And I'm in a weird position where I don't want to verbally say no he didn't call time i'm kind of just sitting there looking at him like hey man if you like run for this fucking base i'm not gonna say shit and then he, he, he eventually did it i was like uh, i was like a dog that's like looking at the door hinting that he wants to go out i was like looking at him play like hey you know it's there for you right yeah. there but yeah i mean i just I, I i love cheeky tactics like that that's absolutely the kind of ball player i was and i think that's the the kind of ball player that a guy is um so yeah. mike Salamco definitely stood out to me definitely definitely a guy but definitely a very important guy you know in in his context uh of club history but yeah thanks for pointing that out cuz i didn't know that now i'm going to i'm going to talk about that in a future video and i'll i'll make sure i i mention you guys when i when i do it cuz it was like oh. one of the things i i I knew of Mike Salamco, but I didn't know much about him because like I was focusing on one guy I was focusing on was Glenn Mickens, who pitched for the uh, Kintetsu Buffaloes. And there's a famous photo of uh, Salamco, Mickens, Joe Stanka, who's the first uh, American to win PL MVP, and uh, Carlton Hanta all gathered around reading the sporting news at the All-Star game. It was really cool. Yeah, that was, I mean, that was everything I had on Hanshin. And, you know, as I said before we started recording, excellent video series that you did made my job uh, for initial research at least a lot, lot easier. And 
one day I'll be in Newcastle celebrating the Newcastle Championship, and I hope one other day uh, I will be in Hanshin. Uh, in the Hanshin sprawl, yeah. Exactly, exactly. I'll, I'll be the one to deep dive into the lake and pull out what little remnants there still are. Of the the left hand, I think, is still floating around. If I'm the left hand is still there, and, and, the, the, glasses and the glasses are still there, yes, somewhere. Somewhere buried in the silt. Uh, I don't know if you have any of you guys have played Yakuza 0. Yeah. Yes. Yes, Xavier. certain in your head. Yeah, <laughs> so do you know that there's a Curse of the Colonel reference in Yakuza 0? Ooh. When Majima is going down the boat in, in the Sotenbori Canal, which is totally different from the Dotenbori Canal, <laughs> uh, but as he's going down, there's a statue of one of like the, the fast food joints in the game that's floating in the thing. It's meant to be a reference to the curse of the, it must be referenced to the Colonel, which is like, as he's going down the elevator from the boat down into the fighting arena underneath Osaka, because of course it's a Yakuza game. They got to do something like that. It, it, it's, it's a really fun little tidbit. It's referenced in a lot of Japanese culture. Granted, if, if, if you're watching something that is, or playing something that is set in Osaka, I guarantee you there's going to be a curse of the Colonel reference buried somewhere in there. Which I think is really cool. Oh, also the the Colonel Sanders statue after that was found in 2014 when they made the Japan series again. Every single Colonel Sanders statue in Osaka like and Kobe. Inside, right? it, no, it was not Martin inside. They were bolted down. <laughs> <laughs> they, they bolted all of them down. And what's I don't the, know. This is the greasing the light poles equivalent. Oh yeah, uh, for yeah, exactly. With exactly. Bolt but the he, statues he, grease the poles. <laughs> yeah, here, here's the thing. That that Colonel Sanders statue, where they put it is they put it at a KFC near Koshan Stadium. So it's pretty much just mocking them at this point. <laughs> well, I think, and I think I read that basically it's not for public viewing anymore. Like you no. need to you need to know a guy that knows a guy, knows a guy. and then you can see the statue. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm surprised they haven't put that statue in the, in the Japanese Baseball Hall of Fame just with how important it is to like the lore of of sport, like of the sport in in Japan. It's it's something that I would love to just see that like have it one day, like the big Hanshin Tigers exhibit. You know, you have like a Randy Bass bat, you have a Fumio Fujimura jersey, you have like a hat from Koichi Tabuchi, and then just the Colonel standing in the background <laughs> would be fan- would be fantastic. Diaz, can you do me a favor? Can you give me one Ed Orger and Go Tigers? Go Tigers. Perfect. Well, there we go. That's one team down. Xavier, you feel like going second? I'll go second. So, you know, unlike Diaz and his research and trying to pick a team that he thinks best fits his city, you know, I'm a simple man of simple tastes. So I picked a Japanese baseball team the same way I picked an Irish soccer team. Can I go see them in person when I'm in that country? And with Ireland, it was St. Patrick's Athletic, the only Dublin team that was playing at home that weekend while I was in Dublin. And here, it is the Tokyo Yakult Swallows, who I am playing to go see on April 12th against the Yokohama DNA Bay Stars. Oh, I'm probably going to be in Japan around the same time, so I might join you at that game. That would be awesome. <laughs> because I, it was my, my first time in Japan, so... The Yogurt Birds and the Bridge Team. Ballad of the Yogurt Birds, yes. You chose, um, you chose the Yogurt Birds. Nice. I did choose the Yogurt Birds. So after I made that choice, I watched your video, and 
It was so wild that the history the history of this team deserves its own docu-series. Yeah. Uh, every, every one of those videos that I made, it, barring maybe the Rockets and Eagles video because the, the team is so young, each one of those videos could have been an hour long. Like, there's so much stuff I had to gloss over and be like, okay, you know, I got to limit this to like 2,000 words, 12 minutes, just I got to get this out. But yeah, the Swallows have one of those histories where it's just like, wow. <laughs> There's a lot so, of stuff going on. For anyone who hasn't watched the video, and again, you should go do so, the way this team came about was uh, Japanese National Railways had really bad press because of what apparently is called the three big mysteries of JNR, where in the space of about two months, uh, their ex-president was found dismembered on a train track. To this day, they don't know if he was killed or if it was suicide or anything else, but... Right after that, there was a train crash into a station where a conductor had tied down the uh, the handle and left the train, and it just, this unmanned train went barreling into a station, killing six people. And then a, a little bit after that, there was what is allegedly sabotage of the train tracks by communists, but apparently all of those convictions got later overturned because it was probably all, you know... Maybe a little bit of torture, confessions, and that killed multiple people. So JNR had a really bad couple months. I, I will chime in on on the thing I forgot to include it in the video, but a spy working for the Japanese internal intelligence in 1972. I think he admitted that he did it, and he was <laughs> yeah. No one took him like the the Japanese Communist Party and the Japanese Socialist Party were trying to call for his arrest like in parliament for like several weeks after he admitted to doing it and no one did a thing. And apparently he had tried to come clean right after all the convictions got overturned, but someone had tried to poison him. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just like one of those things where like, Ooh, this goes deep. Like I didn't want to delve too far into this cause I want it to be like open to everyone. But yeah, that was uh, some, some fucky business going on there. So yeah, JNR having a bad time, but a lot of JNR employees loved baseball. So they started a baseball team instead, and they named it the Swallows after their fastest train line at the time. So the answer to Norfolk Southern's problems right now with having like poisoned a bunch of Ohio is that they should be the ones to buy yes. the Washington Nationals. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yes, good PR, please. It's why Jeff Bezos is trying to buy the Commanders. So this team was really, really, really bad, but they did have Masaishi Kanada, who yeah. is the only pitcher to win over 400 games, which is even more incredible when you think about the fact that literally everyone else on the team was awful, and he was just doing this single-handedly a lot. They had three good players in the 50s, pretty much, uh, and the rest of their pitching staff wasn't particularly good. They had one guy who threw a no-hitter uh, without striking a single guy out. I mean, I forget his name, but yeah, it was one of only two guys to do it. Ken Holtzman uh, was the uh, guy in MLB who did that. Zero strikeouts. Uh, Teruo Owaki, who I believe wasn't particularly good <laughs> in general. I think he may be the second worst pitcher to throw a no-hitter in NPB history, which is just like the most swallows thing possible. One of the things I saw was that they didn't have a 500 record until their 11th season and yeah. by then he had 
he had won 20 or more games pretty much every season, but also lost 10 or more games every season because even with an ERA under two, if they didn't score two runs, he was going to get the loss. Yeah. NPB's DeGrom, basically. <laughs> so, you know, they're, they're terrible despite this guy. And he does join the Giants later on and, and, and get some silverware, but they're still bad. They're so bad that I actually saw that in 1965, you know, their, their drafts are a little more informal than, uh, at, at least at this time, than MLB ones were. But still, only two of 11 draft picks decided to actually join the team. Everyone else said, nah, we don't want to play for you guys. Exactly. Yeah. So they can't the, even the, improve. Yeah, the first ever NPB draft was an absolute mess. Uh, I've been working on something for a long time about that, but it's just so deep of like a systematic problem. I, I think what was really funny was the Hiroshima Carp selected the most players out of the draft. They selected 18 and still only like 10 joined. You know, it was just one of those things where like everyone else had stopped picking and the Carp were like, no, we still got guys on our list. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if it, like we'll, we'll still keep going. That first ever draft, they weren't the only team to suffer that indignity, but they suffered the worst of the indignities out of that. And also that same year, that's when they get sold to the nationalistic newspaper. <laughs> you know, some may say a far-right newspaper. I don't want to... I can't speak for Japanese politics, so I'm not going to really spend much time on it. But they did have Astro Boy. So that becomes their mascot. And they're the Sankei Adams. And... That's fantastic, because if you're going to be owned by a, a terrible company, at least get a really cool anime mascot. Exactly. So if, you, if you don't get Astro Boy piece of merch while you're over there, I'm going to be so thoroughly disappointed. I mean, I'll uh, try, but I don't know if... I, I, I don't think they sell it anymore because they don't really have the copyright, but I know Ebbets Field Flannels sells a jersey, a pullover, a hoodie, and a hat. But the hat is not a correct hat. So, but the, if you want to pay a stupid amount of money, you can get one off Ebbets Field, which is I can do that. Not, yeah, I'm not sponsored. Like, are there? So here's a question: Are there like thrift shops that one could try and go to in Tokyo to look for? Because that's that's where I buy most of my stuff. Yeah, from, like you can you can. Goodwill. The the thing is with with the thrift shops, like Japanese thrifting is is amazing. But you probably find stuff from the 80s. You probably wouldn't okay. find stuff from the late 60s, early 70s when. Uh, they were called the Adams. So. Okay, Xavier, I will not disown you if you can't get it because it does seem like this is a I, difficult time. I will try. Um, I'm bringing two suitcases, one inside the other, because then I'm just going to bring back a second suitcase of all the stuff I buy in Japan. If I can find it, I, I'm prepared to be yeah. very, very uh, bad with my money while I'm there. Absolutely. We're free to go over for the first time in two years. Let's boost that tourism income. <laughs> so... They continue to suck, though, as the Adams, and just five years later, they get sold to the probiotic yogurt company Yakult and become swallows again. As Evan puts so eloquently in his in his video, their entire board is Yomiuri Giants fans. Yes, and every time they beat a team, that city buys less yogurt, so they have zero incentive to invest in the team. And continue to be absolutely awful. And But they, they luck into it because they end up, let's hire a former giant to manage our team. So they hired, um, well, they first hired Osamu Mihara, who is literally the first ever 
Yamiuri Giant, well, the, the team that became the Yamiuri Giants, he was the first guy they ever signed all the way back in 1934. And then they brought in NPB's Mike Keenan. <laughs> What's his name? This is, I'm killing myself here with the names and such. Uh, Tatsuro Hirooka. And then he ends up turning the team around. That's the Charlie Manuel years. Yeah, the Charlie Manuel years. What was really funny to me is in the modern day, Charlie Manuel would, would have been cut after his first year. Because he had an awful, awful first year. He had like an 80 WRC plus, uh, negative 0.7 war. In the modern days, he would have been cut. But then he turned around and set the team home run record the next year. I thought it was so, hilarious when I looked into this. And it's like, oh yeah, he, he hits over 339 homers and over 100 RBIs as a 34-year-old. And they win. They, they win the title. And then they immediately pull a Marlins and fire sale everything. And Charlie Manuel's gone goes to uh, the Buffaloes, and I think that year he was on pace to set a home run record, then got hit in the face and was in the hospital for six weeks, came right back yeah. out and still won MVP. Yeah, uh, came back out wearing a uh, a football face guard on the front of his helmet, which was, uh, the story I believe is that they were like, well, we want to get this. So they went to, I believe, Osaka University. Uh, because people don't know uh, know this, but Kansai is the home of Japanese university football. Like, ironically, a lot of the biggest, most successful university American football clubs are based in Kyoto. So they have the Kansai League. You got four teams in Kyoto, one team in Osaka, and three in Kobe, I believe. So they went to Osaka University. They grabbed a face guard, just threw it on a double-flapped helmet, and gave it to him, and went, "Okay, perfect. There you go." That's inc- that's so fantastic. I didn't look enough into it, but based on everything else I've seen, it would not surprise me if they intentionally hit him in the face there. But yeah, it was. I don't want to allege anything. Like the pitcher still claims it was an accident to this day, but everyone who had a brain was just like that was so intentional. And they tried to apologize when Manuel came back. His team, the Lote Orions, who are now the Chiba Lote Marines, they tried to stage an apology, and the Buffaloes refused. And the Buffaloes basically said, "If you really were sorry." you would have gone and visited him in the hospital. He never left Japan. He didn't go back to the States to get surgery like he wanted. We convinced him to stay and get surgery in Japan. And you still didn't come and visit him and say you were sorry. So that's why they just completely believe it was intentional. I do want to give a brief aside, just to talk about their stadium, the Meiji Jingu Stadium, which is the fourth oldest in the world that's still active. And apparently the Japanese government's been trying to get rid of it for years. And I was reading all these uh, articles about activists essentially trying to push back because, like, this is one of the greenest and nicest areas in Tokyo, and they want to raise everything to make high-end developments, and everyone's like, no, we don't want this. And thankfully, that means that I should be able to go attend a game in this stadium that's been around since 1926 and hosted Lou Gehrig and Babe Ruth and during an exhibition series in 1934, but... It's only behind uh, Wrigley, Fenway, and Koshan. So, you know, I, I hope that they save it. The whole thing reeks of corporate fuckery and is probably going to be battled in the courts for a couple of years because also they're trying to tear down the rugby stadium that's next to it. Uh, and the rugby stadium is like the birthplace of Japanese rugby. Like a literal, I think it was not the emperor who came after Meiji, his brother uh, set up that, that stadium. So it, it's kind of like... Both of these places are very important to two very important sports in Japan because rugby is pretty big in Japan. And to have them both be torn down, even though they're going to be rebuilt, 
it's still not the same. Like, because what they want to do, it, it's the most pointless thing. They want to switch places. They want to put the rugby stadium where the baseball stadium is, and they want to put the baseball stadium where the rugby stadium is. It all makes no sense. And locals were apparently also not told about it, like because they have to have a public inquiry about this thing under under law. And they did it in such a sneaky way that no one heard about the public inquiry. And you have a bunch of locals now who are going, wait, we were never told about this. Oh, but you were back in 2016. Yeah, no, we weren't. And That's so happening it's, in Philadelphia right now with yeah. the Sixers' new stadium and people in Chinatown who are very upset and say that they were not consulted and developers saying, oh, we, we told you guys years ago. But, I mean, as any Yankee fan can tell you, if you get rid of an old stadium and say, oh, we're going to put a new one at the exact same spot, it, it ruins the magic of yeah. it. It's not the same. They should have never torn down the original Yankee Stadium. I say that as a person who fucking hates the Yankees. <laughs> you know, I fucking... I fucking hate the Yankees with every fiber of my being because I grew up in a family of Blue Jays, Red Sox, and Twins fans. Oh my like, god. <laughs> I am biologically conditioned to hate that team. Like, it's just general... Like, it, it feels so hollow. It feels like a hollow facsimile of the original Yankee Stadium. I don't it, want it, them to do that with uh, with this stadium, with the history that I have learned about it. So, oh, yeah. you know, we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. But, um... Hoping. The only other thing I really wanted to talk about was, you know, so I know there was a resurgence in the 90s when Nomura was their manager, but I want to talk more about, we've talked about Murakami before, but Mm -hmm. it shouldn't be understated just how good he is. Yeah. He just turned 23 two weeks ago. He has 160 homers already. Uh, And he also put up a 221 WRC Plus, which was first in the league he's one of only two guys to put up a 200 last year the other being masataka yoshida and i believe that is the highest single season performance by any qualified hitter since well his teammate vladimir valentin in 2013 but it is the 16th best offensive season in npb history and i believe this year old yeah just had to go and check that is higher than aaron judge's ops plus last year aaron judge had 211 yeah. So, but with when you take out Sadaharu O, it's the seventh best season. When you take out Sadaharu O, it's essentially the take out Babe Ruth from the top ten, and then look yeah. at everybody else. Yeah, but, because if you look at the top ten, it's Sadaharu O, Sadaharu O, Sadaharu O, Sadaharu O, Randy Bass, Alex Cabrera, Hiroshi Oshita, Shigeo Nagashima, Sadaharu O, Sadaharu O, Sadaharu O. You know, and like it's pretty much him versus the world. It's why, like, he is the like I I had my um my sports one of my sports writing instructors basically go like never call anyone the goat, and I'm like this (laughs) like there is no one who comes close. And the fact that Murakami could even put up a season in his atmosphere is it with modern stuff like they're watching you, they're learning your tendencies, they're trying to figure you out, and they're shifting against him too. Like one of the things Sadaharu O talked about uh when he was describing murakami's season when they interviewed him about it, it's just like this shouldn't be possible with the amount of stuff we know about players nowadays it's ridiculous because i believe O only got shifted against once in his career and that was during his 50 homer campaign and a lot of people say that that robbed him of a 400 season uh because the hiroshima carp decided to shift against him there's a picture of it i, I i've got it but like 
I posted it on the baseball subreddit and someone is just like, I called it the O shift. And it's like, everyone was like, I misread that as the O shit, which is probably what they thought, what they probably thought whenever he came up to the plate. <laughs> it's like, Oh fuck. The O shit shift. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I saw that he was the first central league player to hit for the triple crown since Randy Bass and mm-hmm. the first position player since O to win the central league MVP unanimously, which is just, you know, that's incredible company. Just signed a new three-year deal, but it mandates that he get he gets posted after the 2025 season. So he'll only be 25 when, I mean, he'll be turning 26 before the start of his yeah. first MLB season, but he'll be able to sign eight, nine-year deal probably for yeah. 200 plus million. Because, you know, unlike Otani, who, since he came when he was 23, he had, he was restric- restricted to bonus pool money because, you know, if you're an international free agent and you're under 25, you have to come through that way. You can't just sign with anyone for any money. But, I mean, as long as he keeps this up and there's no reason to think he won't, some team is going to give him a ton of money oh, yeah. in three years. And I, I can't wait to see what he does in the World Baseball Classic because when he gets going, when he goes on a tear, he is the scariest man alive. Like, I think the the funny thing is when he hit his 55th home run, the guy who faced it was... uh was Taisei Ota, who is the Giants' rookie closer, uh, who was having a season for the ages, closing out games. And you, they zoom in on, on Taisei's face, and he looks fucking scared shitless. <laughs> he is breathing heavy. He's just like, okay, here we fucking go. And um, there was another, uh, when he hit one off of Shoemaker, Matt Shoemaker, uh, who was playing for the Giants this year. Shoemaker just looks up and screams, Fuck! <laughs> And they caught it on, they, they didn't get the audio, obviously, but they they cut to it on, like, a replay of him just, like, screaming fuck at the top of his lung. Because <laughs> he feels like he gave a bad pitch. Like, it's so, it, it was a fun year to to just watch him crush pitching. I think he went, like, he reached base safely, and I think 13 consecutive plate appearances? Or more than that? At one stretch of the season? Like, one stretch when they took on, like, the Oklahoma Bay Stars, who were the, who... Need I remind you, finished second. Like, it wasn't a bad team, and he just completely and utterly destroyed them. That was at the point where it's just like, we're not worthy. This is why I thought so quickly, like, the Swallows are going to repeat. The Swallows are going to do it. They're going to repeat. Especially when uh, Yamamoto went down uh, in game one of the Japan series, their best pitcher. But they rightly focused everything on Murakami and shutting Murakami down, and it worked. The Buffaloes won. But yeah. Like, absolute historic shit we're seeing right now, which is it's really fun, but it's also not fun for me as an NPB person because it's just like, everyone's just like, when's he coming over? Why can't he come over tomorrow? Why can't he do this? And I'm like, just like shut it's up. It's not appre- a farm system. Yeah, appreciate what you're watching. <laughs> it's not some, like, podunk league, which is pisses me off that a lot of commentators like to refer to it as such. The whole thing with with uh, Robert Suarez, who was an elite closer with the Honchin Tigers, and then he goes over to the uh, the San Diego Padres, and they're like, "Oh, he basically played indie ball." Excuse me. It's like at worst, quad A. Like at worst, it, yeah. is, it is better than all minor league competition. Yes, like you put an NPB team versus a AAA team in a series because anyone can win on the day. That NPB team will win out every single time. Yeah, there, there's no way they end up losing. The American ignorance there, I guess I would analogize it. I think that's how you pronounce that word. Analogy. 
you're, you're real close to saying something that you don't want to say there. Uh, I would most closely compare it to like Xavier and I are big basketball fans. And when Luka Doncic was tearing it up over in Euro, we yeah. knew like immediately, like this guy's going to step in and day one, be one of the best players in the NBA. And all of our friends are like, well, it's the European league, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, the Euro League, much like NPB, is like the indisputable number two best league in the world. Yeah. Indisputable number two best league in the world. So when you see a kid, you know, much like we're seeing now, dominate in that way, that's going to carry over. Like it just exactly. will. Exactly. And it's not like he has some of the problems. Like I was, I was shocked that an organization as smart as the Rays signed Sitsugo. But, like, people are comparing him to Sitsugo, and I'm going, like, you are looking at two completely different hitters, my guy. Because it was, it was really funny. They don't want to pay 10 bucks a month for a Delta Graph subscription. They're not going to find this information. But uh, Sitsugo's WRC Plus against pitches above 95 miles an hour was something like 63. So it was, like, a well-known thing that he couldn't do with velocity. Meanwhile, uh, I believe Murakami's thing on the same kind of pitches is um i think it's something like in the 150s like he can still do it but like he, he is still him. no exactly you're not going to be able to pump velocity by him and have that work he is going to eat that for breakfast so uh xavier uh going back to sorry to cut you off for such a no, long no, time to go no, off no, my that tangent. Fine. i mean that, that's really all all i had you know about it i'm hoping that i get a chance to see murakami just rake uh in two months that would be fantastic, but I'm super excited. Thankfully, the stadium's about eight minutes from, from my hotel, so that, that's how I choose my teams. Can I go see them play in person? Because then I can actually you know, be there with fans who are singing songs that I don't understand but can enjoy and just enjoy the atmosphere first before doing yeah. anything else. Just buy one of the little umbrellas for the umbrella dance in the seventh inning stretch. Oh, heck and yes. And you'll be fine, yeah. Dude, you're going to have such a good time. I'm going to talk about a team that is probably not going to have as good of a time this year because I, like Diaz, am also a glutton for punishment. That is not the reason that I selected this team. Part of the reason I selected is as an Orioles fan, I've always felt a bit of an inferiority complex that I don't have one of the teams that goes back like a century. I've always wanted one of the really old teams, like the Phillies or the Reds, any of those guys. So I did decide to go back to one of the oldest teams. There are a bunch that have to do with newspapers they're all owned by newspapers which i adore one of my favorite things at camden yards is the baltimore sun which is now like a a complete rag and decrepit institution but when camden yards was built it was a really well-renowned newspaper and so they have this the sun sign and anytime there's like a borderline call they will flash either the h in the the or the e to let you know if it's a hit or an air one of my favorite things so i i wanted to pick an old team wanted to pick one of the teams that i do with newspapers And another thing that I dearly love is the Dodgers aesthetic, both from their time in Los Angeles and Brooklyn. It's just a clean look. And for that reason, all of these things combined have led me to the pride of Nagoya, the Chunichi Dragons. Oh, you sweet summer child. It's... (laughs) (laughs) I root for the Orioles. They've won a championship significantly more recently than the Orioles. They've been to a championship a lot more recently than the Orioles. So, like, it can't get worse than that. And again... They're a team where, hey, maybe if ownership cared about them whatsoever, it'd be fun to watch. It's uh, not that no. ownership doesn't care. It's that ownership doesn't have money. <laughs> yeah, it's the newspaper industry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not like Yami Uri that has branched off into TV and done all this stuff to, like, 
continues so, like it's, yeah it's, like maintain yeah. relevance yeah it's it's a paper that has not transitioned well to the digital age but you know i have a feeling that someone is going to buy a chunichi in the next 20 years not for the paper but for the team i i think that anything other than chunichi dragons is not going to fly with that fan base at that point in time Oh, so they'll have. So they would buy Chunichi just Chunichi. to make sure they're not changing the name of the Chunichi the ba- Dragons to whatever the yes. new company is. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, I have a feeling. They, that... so. they, they. I didn't want a ringless team, but like they're bad, and I've learned they're, this they're now. And I'm fine yes. with that. I root for a yes. lot of bad teams right now. <laughs> they are bad, but they they have really good pitching. They have a really good rookie playing right now, uh, Yuki Okabayashi. The problem with Okabayashi is he can't hit for power. This is a man who put up 6.8 war last season without hitting a single home run. Ooh. I have not found him in last season's statistics, and I have a favorite player on the team now. Yeah. He was, I believe, eighth best player. He was the eighth best player in NPB in 2022, and he didn't hit a single home run. That's fucking awesome. I love this. <laughs> it is also not as if the Chunichi Dragons do not have some history. Uh, yes. It is difficult to find a best player. I don't think they have a, like, Mr. Dragon. It's very easy, though, to find the two best players in their history. Yes. Because uh, it's the only two numbers they've retired. Uh, it is two guys that are kind of linked. Uh, first one I want to mention is Mishio Nishizawa. He yep. was a pitcher that started at the age of 15 Maybe you can illuminate this a little bit. Was that a normal thing? Were a lot of 15-year-olds playing in NPB at that point? Not really, actually. Like, a lot of guys were jumping out of high school, but, like, there was this worry that if you jumped out of high school and you you didn't finish high school, you couldn't avoid the draft. Because you got to remember, this is late 1930s. They're mm-hmm. on an active war with China. And uh, Ijisel Wamura ended up getting sent over there. And so I a mean, lot Mishio of play- Nishizawa does not avoid the draft also. <laughs> no, he does not avoid the draft as well. But like his his whole thing, I think the only guy who's come in who's been that young is Masaichi Kaneda, who we've already mentioned. He signed with the Swallows at 16 because he, I think something had happened with a high school tournament not allowing him to play because Masaichi Kaneda, for those of you who don't know, is Korean. That's not his birth. His birth name is Kyung Hong Kim. And he's of Korean descent. So they, they were something of him not being allowed to play because he was Korean, despite being born and raised in Nagoya. He didn't have Japanese citizenship. He actually had North Korean citizenship until 1954, I believe, which is until he finally got decided to get his naturalized citizenship. And so Kaneda signed at 16 because he was just like, oh, you know, what? if you're not going to let me play, I'll go find a professional team to play for. And that's exactly what he did. Uh, and then his his little brother, uh, Tomihiro, Kaneda uh, later ended up playing under him, but that's enough back to the dragons. <laughs> 36 is when he comes in at the age of 15. In 1942, he pitches a no hitter, which is the second most impressive game that he has that year. Because earlier that season, Mishio Nishizawa throws a 28 inning complete game in which he what? pitches <laughs> 311 pitches. And then his arm fell off. No, yeah. his arm falls off. Well, his arm doesn't actually fall off in the war, but here's the thing. So Mishio Nishizawa does go to war. And between that heavy workload and being in the war, he isn't able to pitch anymore when he comes back. They switch him to first and then eventually the outfield. 
And then at one point, he also sets the league record with 46 home runs and becomes like a phenomenal hitter for many years. Goes away for like three seasons to one of the Stars teams, I think, but then comes back to the Dragons. Yeah. There, there was a whole thing, the Dragons uh, in, the, in the 1940s, was they had a GM named Masashi Akemine, who he was really smart. A really good general manager, was very popular with the players. Chunichi ownership hated him. So they fired him. And then we're shocked when a bunch of their players left. <laughs> it's just like, screw you guys. We'll go with Akamine. And that's when this like went to the stars and later went to the, um, the Shochiku Robins who ended up being the team to win the first ever central league pennant. Uh, but that's not sustainable when you don't have money. Like Shochiku didn't have money and that's, they lost all their players uh, and fell to last by 1952. They get contracted out because of that, right? Yeah, they got they got contracted out because they finished last in 52. It was like either them or the Carp who were going to get contracted at the end of that year. And the Carp had a winning record against exactly one team that year, and it was the Robins. They beat the crap out of the Robins <laughs> as a, basically a way to survive. For sake that yes. Oh, no, the team would still be in Hiroshima because Tayo was going to buy whoever failed oh they were so you would still have you would have found the team eventually they 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 still would have existed but they would have been the tayo carp i believe because they wanted to remove hiroshima from the name and that's why the carp were like no we're gonna play out the 52 season and risk it all because we don't want to deal with like not having hiroshima in the team name i like that yeah um i do also like the one other legend that is linked to mishio nishizawa the other person whose number is retired, Mishio Nishizawa, is 15. Number 10 in the programs, but number one in our hearts, is Sukuhiro Hattori. Yes. For three years, from 39-42, he is a catcher for Mishio Nishizawa. Yes. And then he also goes to war. And they come back from war. And the Dragons are like, hey, you know how Nishizawa can't pitch? Actually, a lot of our guys can't pitch anymore. Hey, Sukuhiro Hattori, do you want to try pitching? He's like, yeah, all right, cool. And then he becomes the first ever 100-game winner in Shinichi Dragons history while also playing catcher still until 1951 when he switches to first base. So he was pitching for himself and catching for the other pitchers on the, on the staff? Yes. Yes. I mean, no, I, I, he, I guess I, he would be really good at, you know, knowing what the pitcher <laughs> should do at that point then. Like, you could call a great game. Well, I appreciate the clarification because in my head, I thought he was doing like when you don't have any friends in the backyard to play a football. <laughs> concert. He's just running really fast. You just throw it high and you run over and you catch it. <laughs> I, thought, I thought he was going like super Ephus. Okay, te- teams were desperate after the war. He kind they of was, by desperate. the way, going super Ephus. That was kind yeah. of his move. Yeah, he did have an Ephus. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, those. Those are the two big ones. They're both on the championship team that wins right after the Orions, the second season, if I'm not mistaken. No, they won in 1954, so the fifth season of NP. Okay, so they win in 54, uh, the first year for the Orioles. And then they just suck uh, for a while. They do win another title in 2007. It is a very 2014 Royals-esque run because they... get So... The breakdown nowadays, as I understand the playoffs, feel free to step in if, if I'm wrong here. Second and third place in yes. the two leagues, the Central and Pacific League, play a series immediately following the season. And the mm-hmm. winner of that series then plays the pennant winner of the league. And that is yes. the climax series determining who from each league then advances to the Japan series for the full championship. Yes. 
So they are, I believe, the first team to get in as the three seed and win a title in that 2007 year after sweeping through their first round, sweeping through the Giants in the Climax Series, and then uh, going on to win in 2007. And they've appeared, if I'm not mistaken, once more since then. But uh, yeah, they're twice more. Even better than I thought. I have... They're not good, and I got super excited when I picked them at first, and then I realized I picked the perfect team for myself because actually this is, in many ways, quite a disappointing team. But they have some lovely cultural touchstones, one of whom is the guy that I want to mention. I thought about bringing Larry Doby, the first ever African-American American League player, but he's in the Hall of Fame, so we're not going to yeah. count Larry Do- He's in the Cooperstown Hall of Fame. Is he in the Japan Hall of Fame? No, uh, he only played one season, so they wouldn't have put it. They only started putting, well, like, the whole thing with everyone going with Alex Ramirez and Randy Bass getting in this year is this might be a finally getting the ball rolling on all the foreign stars who people have wanted in for a long time, but the writers have not put in. So guys like Daryl Spencer, who played for the Honky Braves in the 60s, uh, who was known as Dr. Baseball, and guys like Leron Lee, who still holds the uh, the career batting average record, like Nori Aoki broke it briefly. But the fact that Nori Aoki continued to play and his average went down meant that uh, Lee got it back. Who else? And Greg Boomer Wells, who also won a triple crown in the uh, in the 80s. So those are three guys that everyone's going like, oh, they might get in now, like that kind of thing. It's we like big hall moments. We're all about big yeah. halls. Our hall. Cooperstown Hall. One guy that's not going to be making any halls, but has a very special place in my heart and is really what cemented the Dragons' choice for me. There was a pitcher, the Shinichi Dragons, from 2004 to 2011. He does miss out on the Japan series because he's recovering from Tommy John surgery, but he successfully comes back from that Tommy John surgery. And then in the offseason after that 2011 year, he becomes, in my lifetime, the single greatest Orioles free agency pickup ever. And that is Wei Yin Chen. We still have not hit the high of bringing Wei Yin Chen as a free agent pitcher into the Orioles, who has gone on to start two of the most important baseball games of my entire life, which are Game 2 of the 2012 ALDS against the New York Yankees and Game 2 of the 2014 ALDS against the Detroit Tigers. He was really good for four seasons with the Orioles. He was even very good for uh, one of my fantasy teams one year, the Warriors. 27 <laughs> and 14 in 62 games. Uh, 377 innings pitched in his four years with the Orioles. His strikeouts per nine, 6.9. Nice. nice. He also has one last funny thing I want to mention for Wayne Chen. He eventually goes back to NPB, but he spent some time in Miami. And then Miami cut him right before 2020. For this reason, in 2020, Wayne Chen was the highest paid player in all of Major League Baseball because everyone else's contracts got prorated to the shortened season. But because he got cut before that and had the most expensive contract of everyone that got cut before the season, Wayne Chen is 2020's single highest paid Major League Baseball player. You know, you know what's really funny to me about Wayne Chen? Is in MLB The Show 2021, if you ended up on the Marlins and they went to crowd shots, you would still see people in Wayne Chen jerseys. Perfect. Like, I, perfect you, crowd. You still see people in Wayne Chen jerseys at Orioles Stadium. I'm not yeah. joking when I say we haven't oh. signed a better pitcher than Wayne Chen in the last decade. <laughs> like, Wayne Chen. Wait, I love Wayne Chen. Like he he was he's one of those guys who just like absolutely tore it up. Like when he played for Chiba for the final couple years of his career, uh, when he went back to NPB in 2020 with the Chiba Lotte Marines, 
he was like one of those guys who was just like you just want the team to do well when he pitches. He was just so lovable. And I think my my favorite moment of his is him being the only guy who was just so sick of Ukiyoshuto's shit. Ukiyoshuto is the fastest man in NPB. He's going to be on the WBC team. We'll see if he plays or not because he's kind of the fourth outfielder. But he is ridiculously fast. Like I jokingly call him the Speed Lord after the uh, the Filthy Frank bit. And I and I made a meme where it's just like Wei Yin Chen accidentally get actually gets him. But like he was just so sick of his shit that he just kind of threw over, threw over, threw, threw over enough times. He was the only guy to catch him flat-footed was Wei Yin Chen. Love <laughs> like the Love Wei Yin Chen? I have a Wei Yin Chen shirt somewhere. I'm going to have to dye it from orange to blue. But I actually, hold on. This is going to mean nothing to our listeners. <laughs> but I have a Wei Yin Chen baseball card right here, baby. Nice. I think I have a. I, I've got a Wei Yin Shen card for the for the Marlins, but it's a Donruss card, so it has doesn't have the teams on it. It's just like one of those Donruss cards that came in like the. Here's a big you know pack of cards. Here's a, this. We're gonna lure you in with the cards you actually want, and then we're gonna check on some Donruss shit because we can't move it because no one wants it. No one wants cards without the logos. Because <laughs> Donruss has the players' rights, they don't have the logo rights. No teams. Because those no teams. Well, they, they they can say like Miami or oh, okay. Miami, yeah, it's like or the Miami, yeah, Los Angeles, N, <laughs> you know, Los Angeles A, like it's in that Juventus kind of thing. the FIFA game, Piedmont oh, my. Calcio. <laughs> God, I, I I hope that MLB Wait. never gets to that point where like teams refuse to be in MLB the show. What? It was John Dowd. That was Barry Bonds' favorite Barry name. Bonds in MVP. John um, Dowd, just like. Fucking white guy, like number ninety nine. Barry Bonds in MLB Power Pros was known as Great Gonzalez. <laughs> oh, that's even better. Much better than John Dowd. What's John Dowd's nickname? Great Gonzalez. So, like, yeah, because they had all the guys who weren't in uh, the MLB PA. Uh, one of them, Kevin Millar, was known as Great Johnson, and and like all this other stuff like that. I forget who the other guys are, but it's it's basically all the guys who came in during the strike. You know, all the guys, like the, the guys who came in during the strike and actually managed to stay on, but were never allowed into the NPBPA because, you know, fuck you, you're a scab. We know the Kevin Millar story. Oh, yes. Yeah, how Kevin Millar almost signed, he signed with the Chinichi Dragons, and then the Red Sox broke precedent by claiming him off waivers, and that created this whole shitstorm between the MLBPA, NPB, and MLB, which was just... Another big what if moment in MPB history if, if the Red Sox hadn't claimed an MLB history as well. Yeah, if the Red Sox hadn't. Like, yeah. It's enormous for 2004. It's enormous for 2004. And like the Dragons did end up getting like a good player in his place. They signed Alex Ochoa instead, uh, who is still the only man to hit for the cycle in both MLB and NPB, which is. Factoid. Yeah. But like Alex Ochoa wasn't enough to get them over the hump when they faced uh, the Lions in the Japan series. There's a really famous clip of Alex Cabrera, uh, who is big Roy boy, allegedly. I have to say allegedly because he was never caught in Japan, and I don't want a nice letter from his lawyer. Um, but he was like big, huge, bulky guy, like arms the size of my head. Uh, and he hit a grand slam in game three of the 2004 Japan series, and he just goes up the line like this. Head up, like head up, chin up, skipping up the line with his arms in the air like this. Like, yeah, I just fucking did that. You have a fucking problem. 
Oh, like <laughs> he was the sm- to eat your heart out. Oh, yeah, he was the smuggest motherfucker alive. There's another. There's another moment. Uh, I'm sorry for going on yeah, tangents please. again. There's another moment in the 2006 All-Star Game. Kyuji Fujikawa, who was at the time the best reliever in NPB, he decides, I'm going to face Alex Cabrera and Michihiro Ogasawara, the two men duking it out for the PL home run title. And I'm only going to throw fastballs. So to us, it would be someone in the All-Star Game pitching to like Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa back to back. Yes. And saying, All yeah. Right, yeah like I'm, only, I'm only going to throw fastballs. And... It's really funny to see when he when he does it because he sticks his hand out like this, with with the ball showing like I'm going to just throw fastballs and Cabrera's looking at him like really. It's the okay. pitcher version of Ruth calling his shot. I love that. exactly. He struck both of them out. Uh, Fuck yes. <laughs> and it's like because both of them had like these really cut- cartoonish like full swings. Like Ogasawara was known as Mister Full Swing, and there's a point where. Ogasawara loses his balance and he gets up and he squares the plate like this. Like he's laughing his ass off because <laughs> he can't believe that this is actually happening. Uh, it's a great clip. There's a reason why it has 14 million views on YouTube. It's fantastic. <laughs> so a uh, couple last cultural notes on the Chinichi dragons that drew me to them. One, I did not realize when I selected them that they are the team from Tom Selleck vehicle, Mr. Baseball from 1992. Yes. Uh, yes. So apparently there's still a bunch of people with Jack Elliott, Chunichi Dragon. Yes, Tom I have. Sally, I don't know if you can see it, but I have a Japanese poster of Mr. Baseball on my wall behind me right there. Uh, let's Listeners, that I... you can see that right next to the Wei and Chen card. We've got them right there. <laughs> <laughs> but Google the yeah, Japanese right. poster for Mr. Baseball and you'll see what I mean. But like it is, it, it was, it was something that I saw and I was just like, that's in very high quality. I can get that printed out and put on my wall. Of course I'm going to do that. Why would I not do that? They've also got the Dodgers aesthetic. We mentioned that mm-hmm. at the same time, they weirdly are aping both the Dodgers and like the mid two thousands, early 2010s, Navy blue, San Diego Padres jerseys at the exact same time. The CD of their caps is incredibly reminiscent of that. And their away blue jerseys right now look like just the most forgettable, atrocious Padres teams. Like the Padres I think it has been said a lot in recent years before Manny Machado were probably the 30th MLB team that you named when you tried to name all 30 teams. And yeah, the like, Dragons have like this incredible Dodgers look and they're like, let's also look like the Padres a little bit. They're going more Dodgers next year. They're going back to their jerseys from the 90s. Uh, their, their home jerseys from the 90s were a one-to-one copy of the, the LA Dodgers look with the red number and on the front and everything. But that's just the script says Dragons. The red coming back. Fuck yeah. yeah. Maybe Tom Selleck will make an appearance. Oh, that would be hilarious if he does a first pitch for them. <laughs> uh, I, I've, I've always joked that if I ever, by some miracle, played an NPB, I would wear 54 and I would celebrate every home run with big hit happy body. <laughs> like, there is, there is no way I would not do that. The last two things I want to say about the Chinichi Dragons. Their mascot is named Dewala. Yes. And it is an incredibly acrobatic koala bear. Yes. Uh, Diaz and Xavier, because Evan, you probably know I would love to hear a guess as to why the Nagoya Chinichi Dragons have a koala bear as their primary mascot. They do have dragons now as their secondary one. Well, why do you think a koala is the first one? They really liked Australia. Yeah, Xavier, I was I was gonna say Australia. I'm not good at riffing right now, so I'm just gonna <laughs> <laughs> So you tell me what it really was, James. So they were the sister city with Sydney in Australia. And because of that reason, their zoo 
had the first koalas in all of Japan. And so Dewala the koala became their primary mascot. It's just a dude in a koala head. Like it's not even a, a big fluffy suit. He's got full mobility so he can do crazy acrobatic stunts as this koala bear. Uh, but yeah, that is their primary mascot now. And then the last thing, their main song, Burning Dragons, just absolutely rips. I'm going to play a little clip of it right here. It's they, they have another song called Enter the Dragons, which is, yes, named after the Bruce Lee movie, because they yeah. did it first in 1974. Uh, and they, they name everyone on the team, mm-hmm. like every player, every coach, and they go through the order and all that stuff. But I think my favorite coincidence about that is uh, on 1990, in 1994, 93 or 94, Matt Stairs played for the Trinity Dragons, the ultimate pinch hitter. In his line in Moe Dragons from the year he played was, make the most of your chance, Stairs, which I think <laughs> is the most appropriate thing possible <laughs> to reference Matt Stairs, you know, the pinch hit king. I just, I just love this beautiful kinship that we've just formed, Evan, because Matt Stairs' 2008 pinch hit homer is probably still, it's easily a top three Phillies moment of my lifetime, and it's probably top five of like all Philadelphia sports, because that was like, I've seen no doubt home runs, but like, I guess if I was to say it, to compare between the stature of the player and the no doubtedness of the home run. I love Matt Stairs. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But for that guy who we added in the middle of the season to hit the most mammoth home run I've ever seen in my life. Incredible, incredible moment. Um, I'm Canadian, so I'm conditioned to love Matt Stairs. So there's, there's another thing, I, I think off of NPB for a second, but I think my favorite Philadelphia sports moment is when they were so violent when playing CSKA Moscow that they just left. That they decided, oh, you know, that, that, yeah. is, that is absolute folklore in this city to that day. And yeah. my favorite quote coming out of it is Ed Snyder, the Flyers owner, then says, I will tell them they're not going to get paid. And then the team came back out. And the thing that every Flyers player coach loves to say after that is like, turns out they were a little more capitalist than we thought. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> it's it, it's still one of the like they were the Flyers were the only team to beat the red army team at that point in time the canadians tied them but like the flyers were the only one who beat them which is something that was like also like enshrined in flyers lore and enshrined in pittsburghers making fun of the flyers uh it's just like wow your biggest moment came in the 70s congratulations like that kind of thing but still like it's one of those it's one of those things because like growing up playing hockey as well it was folklore just to be so goddamn violent that a team just goes, you know, I'm fucking done. I can't do this anymore. Um, it, it's like it's not like the Russians were pushovers too, because they had a guy named uh, Boris Mikhailov. Like he was, he was known just known as a complete thug. Like it, he was their captain. He was an absolute thug. He like he would stand up for himself all the time. But like if you touched Val, uh, was it Valery Karmalov who was their best player? If you so Karmalov, much as yeah. yeah, if you so much as touched Valery Karmalov's jersey, you're dealing with Boris, and Boris is going to beat the shit out of you. Mikhailov was on that Summit Series team in 72 yes. against Canada, yes. right? Yes, that's, that's what I was going to say. I mean, that's where, you know, Bobby Clark took his tactics from Team Canada there because he uh, gave a nice little slash to, I forget who, but uh, broke a fibula and that ended up swinging the Summit Series. So Bobby Clark 
I'm not I'm not sure if it was a Philadelphian tactic that he brought to Canada or vice versa, but either way, Bobby Clark and Russians uh like uh like water and oil. Oh yeah. <laughs> Those are the teams that we here at RTG will be supporting. Listeners, we encourage you again to select your own. But as we look towards the season, we've covered a lot of how like we feel now. Is there anything else that in general we should be really looking for this season in NPB? Um, I would look for because Roki Sasaki is finally going to get a full season. He's not going to be he's not going to be chained as he was with an inning limit. Because I remember after his two, well, his perfect game and then eight perfect innings the next time, manager Tadahito Iguchi uh, was basically like, okay, you know, we're sitting him. Like we we never expected him to do this. We don't want to waste him. We're going to sit him for a little bit. He's going to be completely unchained this year. And it is going to be must-watch TV whenever he plays. Also, the uh, Nippon Ham Fighters are moving into a new stadium called uh, Escon Field Hokkaido. It is basically a um, think like the Texas Rangers new stadium, very similar the giant in design grill to that. that. They have the giant grill that they have, very similar to that, and it's going to be better than their old stadium, the uh, the Sapporo Dome, which was just hell to play and watch baseball in. So it actually be really fun. I am going to try and get to a game there sometime in April, but I, I'd imagine even though the fighters are going to be terrible, that place is going to be sold out for the first little bit for the novelty. But um, another person to look out for, well, Murakami as well, but look out for the debuts of a couple guys. Uh, we're probably going to see Carter Stewart Jr. finally get his first full crack because he wasn't uh, really on the roster last year. He made a few appearances. Um, he was great in the minors maybe high time for him to uh, finally make his full season debut. And one more thing, like obviously see what Murakami does, but also look at Kazuma Okamoto, who is playing for the Amiuri Giants. Cause people forget in 2021, he tied Murakami in home runs. Murakami hit 39 home runs. Okamoto also hit 39 and Okamoto in 2022 for a short time actually led uh, NPB in home runs before Murakami fi- really got going. So it's going to be very interesting to see uh, how he takes this season and where he goes. And also, Yokohama Bay Stars uh, may threaten for a pennant if their pitching can get its act together. Yeah. But that's historically not something that it, like, it's really funny to look at Yokohama Bay Stars history. They've had maybe three or four good pitchers in their entire history. In their entire 70-year history. So uh, Another reason I picked the Chunichi Dragons was because I thought about the Bay Stars for a little bit. I was like, I need to have a team that can make a yeah. pitcher. I need like one team that can put an actual competent pitcher on the mound. And the Bay Stars had their first... Uh, uh, Shota Ibanaga threw the first, threw the first no-hitter in a long while for the Bay Stars. I believe since 1970. Shota Ibanaga threw the first no-hitter since 1970 last year. And it was the first ever at... Uh, the Sapporo Dome before because like since the fighters had moved there in 2004 no one had thrown a no hitter there and then it's final season they threw two Shota Imanaga threw one and then Cody Ponce threw one as well so the Swallows and the Buffaloes have made the last year I I also do want to say I almost went for the Oryx Buffaloes just because I adore Adam Jones very very much but I cannot abide by the uh the hey folks another recommended video go watch the one on the merger because can't support anything related to that uh, oh but those my god yes have been in the championship the last two years i know the softbank hawks are still like lurking very good in the background but yeah between them between the teams we discussed a carp 
Tigers, we already said Swallows, and Dragons. Who has a good outlook coming into this next season? Good outlook for me. I'm, I'm, if you're looking at pennant contenders, it's um, Swallows and Bay Stars in the CL. And maybe uh, the Tigers, because the Tigers did surprise a lot of people last year, got feet under them. They've got two new foreign players this year uh, in, in hitters, uh, Sheldon Noisy and uh, Johan Mieses. Mieses? I can't pronounce his name right. I know uh, other Twitter account to follow if you're into Japanese baseball. Uh, the Aki Cosmopolitan. He got ripped by Dominicans for not being able to pronounce his last name. Uh, so they're, they're new. Sink or swim with that. They're, they could either be really good or they could flop, and we, we don't know. Uh, another team to look out for is the Tohoku Rockets and Golden Eagles in the PL. Because we know, like, PL title, it's, it's between Buffaloes and Hawks. More likely the Hawks because the Buffaloes just lost their best hitter. But the Eagles have been one piece away from putting it together for the last few years now. Tanaka isn't, you know, isn't himself, isn't the Tanaka he was when he first came over. Sorry, when he first played for them. But he uh, he's still solid. He still was, I believe, the seventh best or eighth best pitcher in the league last year. They have a lot of interesting offensive pieces. They have one of the best offenses in the league. And, um, you know, it could be uh, fireworks if everything comes together. Uh, some guys to watch, aside from like you know your Murakami, your Sasaki, uh, your Yoshinobu Yamamoto, uh, Courtney Hawkins is going to be playing for the uh, Fukuoka SoftBank Hawks, the former first round pick who spent four years absolutely destroying indie ball and couldn't get a major league deal out of that, and then he signed with. I think he got invited to the Hawks fall camp. He made it. So a lot of people are looking at that with great interest because. NPB teams signing guys that have indie ball has worked before, and they're trying to see if it'll work again, which um, will be very interesting to look at. Because it's good for the indie ball league too. If if your players that are good in indie ball can go and play well in the second best league in the world, that gives you a lot more credence. You're getting a well. lot more of a chance to attract talent if talent knows. Okay, if I perform yeah. here, like I've got a path to something else. And I yes. mean Hawkins on the Hawks. That's yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, it, it was incredibly appropriate too. Like, he even mentioned it in his opening press conference, which it's, is it's great. a layup. I'd be disappointed. If he <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's an absolute layup. Uh, but he, oh, like a lot of people really like him already. One guy I would say to look out for who you may not be too aware of, uh, Chuse Manami, who plays for the Fighters. He is an elite defender, and he has light tower power. He just swings so wildly. It's it's ridiculous. It's also really fun whenever I post a clip of him because he's Congolese Japanese and he looks a lot more like his dad, let's just say. So a lot of people are like, I would not expect a guy who looks like that to be named Chuse Manami. <laughs> <laughs> he's also got a bright, bright personality. He's, he clearly loves what he does. Uh, I think my favorite one is when he charged after a foul ball caught it bounced off the wall and fell on his ass but he came up ball in his hand ear to ear grin on his face just like you can tell he loves what he does and he's just so fun to watch also uh on the fighters while i'm there kotaro kiyomiya who was taken in the same draft as munitaka murakami he was seen as the more sure thing than munitaka murakami didn't quite work out but he's finally found his groove offensively put up a decent year last year when he makes contact, that ball is going 400 feet. Like, it is insane. 
how much raw power he has. So if he can if he can get that together, we'll see how the new stadium treats him. It could be really fun. Uh, also, uh, the return of Teruaki Sato because he went from being the best hitter in the league to the worst hitter in the league in his rookie season. He finally found consistency last year, and he's looking to improve this year. So, for Hanshin Tigers fan like yourself, he's going to be a guy to watch because uh, he might he has a potential for forty homers. Big guy, hit ball, ball far. hard. Just, <laughs> and, and Diaz, just like the Phillies, you just need that number three spot. He's got to yeah, sneak exactly. in. Sneak in and big guy hit ball far. Big guy hit ball far. Although the Tigers lost uh, in the playoffs last year in the most Tigers way possible. And it was hilarious. So Munsaka Murakami grounds, which should be a gimme out. He The pitcher bobbles it, throws it over the first baseman's head. Three run score. And that was the elimination game. The, like with the Swallows uh, ended the Tigers season. And everyone was just going like, that's the most Tigers possible way to lose. And the best part of it was Munitaka Murakami sitting up in first base, realizing what's happened, that three runs have scored on that play, and he's laughing his ass off. <laughs> and, and now Xavier can just rub that in Diaz's face. I've never uh, felt a deeper kinship with this team. <laughs> I gotta say, I am excited for this season of MPB. I have gotten my hopes up, I think, maybe. Maybe the dragons are going to... Aquino. Aristides Aquino's on the dragons. Something might go. happen. It is exciting to have another realm to participate in the sport in. That's what we're always looking for. I got a question for you, Evan. If, uh, say, someone was listening to this and they, too, want to figure out how to get into this realm, where are some places they can find your excellent content that will help them do that? I am on Twitter and YouTube as Gaijin Baseball. If you decide to follow me on Reddit, uh, which, you know, and ignore my shit posting about Formula One, yeah, and well, I also post. It. Yeah, I also uh, post there under the username the Cursed Lexus. Uh, I usually post on the baseball forum at like seven in the morning every day, and just kind of let the post do as they please. Uh, I post uh, history stuff during the off season, but since the off season is coming to an end, I post a lot of highlights there during the season. I don't do that on Twitter because I came very close to having my Twitter account nuked, and I do not want that to happen. And on YouTube, I post stories about the history of the league and fun little episodes. And I'm looking to do more uh, interesting people like I did in a video on Ken Hirano and other channels you should follow if you want to do that. Because I'm going to shout them out because why not? Uh, The Yaku Cosmopolitan. He does a lot more modern stuff, a little more sabermetrically inclined modern stuff. And also uh, Baseball International is a guy who just covers week by week, every other league besides MLB. Uh, he'll give you the scores and uh, some basic stuff from every uh, other league on the planet. And just because our listeners, when they hear guy, they think a certain spelling. Could you spell out Gaijin Baseball for our listeners? Yeah. G-A-I-J-I-N Baseball. Gaijin, like the uh, informal term for foreigner. It's something that if you are Japanese, you would not call someone. It's kind of like a their, it's our word, not your word kind of deal. Because the proper term is gaikokujin, which means someone from a foreign country. Yes, so it ga- will be spelled differently in the episode title here. It will be guy there, but we will make sure <laughs> to have the appropriate spelling of it in the episode description. Absolutely. That's perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you guys so much for having me. Uh, you reached out out of the blue. It was it was something I'm I'm very glad to be a part of, and I'm um, happy to jump on again if you guys will ever have me again. 
season recap at minimum. We're going to need a midseason check-in. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Perfect. Perfect. You, perfect. Perfect. You are the NPB expert now officially on the roster <laughs> in the Rolodex. And uh, no, I mean, thank you so much for coming on, man. It was yeah. a real pleasure to have you. I want to also extend our thanks as always to our musical director, Don Ham, for our excellent theme music. And to you, dear listener, for joining us this week. We do hope that you will join us again next week when we have another phenomenal guest. But I think that is all that we have for this week. As always, I've been James. I've been the not the special guest, Xavier. I've been the NPB expert, Evan. And I'm Diaz. And as Matt Stair said after his 2008 NLCS home run, when you get that nice celebration coming into the dugout and you're getting your ass hammered by guys... There's no better feeling than to have that done. <laughs>